All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you. It's good to have the chance to, to reconnect. I think last time uh, I was here was Valentine's weekend of 2016. So it's been, it's been a couple years uh, since we've been back from Albania. Um, quick disclaimer, though, is uh, you get the short end of the deal because uh, my wife and kids are not here this morning. So you just get me. Uh, definitely the short end of the deal. However, I have pictures and I, I want to give you a quick family update as well as ministry update on what's been happening with us in Albania. Uh, so the last time we were getting ready to come stateside for a home assignment, spring of 2015, this is what our family looked like. Uh, you'll see Meredith and the three kids in just a sec. There we go. And um, I think Isaiah was our oldest, Redhead was uh, approaching seven, Seth was four and a half, and Olivia had just turned two. Uh, and then this is our family about six months ago getting ready to come on home assignment today. So another one is snuck in there. Gabriel, our, our fourth, actually just turned four uh, last week. And so Isaiah is now going into sixth grade. Our, our blondie, Seth, will be a third grader. Olivia who is our princess and keeps her brothers all in order, is going to be a first grader. And Gabriel, our little angel slash evil Knievel stuntman, is uh, got one year left before he hits kindergarten. So God has blessed Meredith and I with uh, four amazing kids. They keep us on our toes. They are really helping us along in the aging process. Uh, they're quite good at that. But um, we are incredibly blessed and, uh, and we have a very full quiver. So, um, sorry that they weren't able to be here today. We, uh, we live in the Balkans, and uh, if any of you are like me, the first time I heard about Albania, I said, no, where in Africa is that again? Uh, but Albania is sandwiched kind of between Italy and Greece. You can see on this map here kind of the region of the world that we live in, and uh, there are many who would call Albania, the, not Albania, the Balkans, the powder keg of Europe. Because historically it has been a place of conflict, it has been a place of uh, fighting, ethnic tensions, even genocide. Uh, the most recent event, some of you may remember, when Bill Clinton was president and ordered the bombing of Serbia because the Serbs were committing genocide against Albanians in northern Kosovo. And this is the area of the world that we live in and we do ministry in. Now, we left for Albania in 2011 and uh, Fellowship Batesville, y'all have been one of our partnering churches uh, since we left for the field, which is a really cool thing. We have this cool history together. But I realized that uh, there are also people that are new to the church since we left and have even come back a couple of times. So uh, just wanted to give you some fast facts as, uh, by way of background to the country and Albania's recent history. So in this next picture here, you see a, a guy pictured Enver Hoxha. And Hoxha was Albania's leader from the fall of world, end of World War II up until he died in 1985. And Enver Hoxha was a communist purist. He believed that Albania had the best and purest brand of communism, and he was a ruthless dictator who um, 
whose hero was Joseph Stalin, and who in 1967 declared Albania the world's very first atheistic state, a state proclamation that this was an atheistic country. Uh, Enver Hoxha died in 1985, but by the time the country came out of communism in 1991, it was the last of the Eastern Bloc countries to come out from under communism. His leadership had politically and economically bankrupted the country and ravaged the country in just about every way. Today, it's one of the poorest countries in all of Europe. Um, and last year, 2018, there was a Gallup poll that was put out. And uh, in this Gallup poll, what they did is they went through 152 different countries and they measured the percentage of the population that desired to immigrate. Okay, so uh, trying to figure out which countries in the world, if you know, I'm living in Zambia or I'm living in Malaysia or wherever it might be, People would say, I want out. I don't want to live here anymore. I would rather move somewhere else. Out of those 152 countries, can you believe Albania ranked fourth in the world with the highest percentage of the population that desire to immigrate per capita from that country? 2012, there was an international watchdog group called Transparency International that ranked Albania the most corrupt country in all of Europe. So you can see these two things playing hand-in-hand, hand, a post-communist history, a poor economy with high unemployment rates, and underemployed people, people that are full-time employed but don't have enough money to be able to make ends meet, as well as a, a corrupt government and corrupt marketplace and corrupt society that just makes people at the end of the day feel like, why do I want to live here? It's also a majority Muslim country. So about 70% of Albanians would say, I'm Muslim. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. So Albania's medieval history, the 1400s through the early 1900s, Turkey and the Ottoman Empire occupied Albania. And so at that time, it was advantageous to be Muslim if you wanted to be able to not be persecuted by the Turkish occupiers or even killed. Um, what we see in that today is a few different groups. We do see some extremism. There are some Albanians, a very small number, that have gone abroad to fight with groups like ISIS or be a part of extremist groups. By and large, we see moderate Muslims, who I would describe as people that are very moral people and try to live a very good life and try to be good and do good to others as best they know how. And we also see a lot of nominal Muslims. Uh, I said in the first service, my brother, he, uh, he has a term for Christians that are nominal Christians. He calls them Christer Christians, and he says these are the ones that go only on Christmas and Easter, but they say they're Christian. Uh, we have a lot of Muslims like that, that they don't own a Quran, they don't go to prayers, they eat pork and drink alcohol, but they're Muslim. And so this is some of the spiritual environment that we see. In 1991, when Albania opened up as a country to missions activity, there were five known believers in the entire country. Since 1991, over almost the last 30 years now, 
That number has grown to somewhere around 10,000, according to the estimates, best estimates and surveys we have. But we are still less than 1%, in fact, less than half of 1% evangelical believers countrywide. We as a family have been living in two different places. You'll see on the map here in a second. We moved to the city of Korcha in 2011, and we were there until 2015. Um, was had a small town feel to it. It was about 80,000 people, 30-minute drive from the Greek and Macedonian borders. And we were involved in language learning, church planning, discipleship during our four years there. In January of 2017, we moved to the capital city to Tirana and went from a town of 80,000, small city of 80,000, to over a million people in Tirana. And some people would say in the next 20, 30 years, probably over half of Albania's population will be there as we see people moving into the city uh, for work and study and other various reasons. Now, last time I was here, uh, you, you may have been introduced to a couple of our Albanian friends, but I just wanted to, real quick by way of review, reintroduce them to you. The first is uh, Taulant, and you'll see pictured here Taulant and I. When we were living in Korcha, we were involved in a village work, and we would commute out to the village. <coughs> Excuse me. We would commute out to the village each week, a couple times a week, and Taulant and I were involved in a church plant there, but primarily what we were focusing on was building a children's ministry, building a youth ministry, and trying to gain inroads into those families uh, in the hopes to see a church planted. In uh, summer of 2015, Meredith and I felt like we had taken that as far as we could take it, and it was time to transition it off. And so we handed the reins of that to Taulant and a team of Albanians. Talant ran with that for a couple of years before he got engaged and got married. And there was a young man named Sokol who had come through the children's and youth programming who, when Talant transitioned out, he handed it off to. And so the cool thing is, is that this morning, uh, the village in Shecheris and the church plant that we got to be a part of uh, during those years we were there, is still going and is still meeting and is still progressing forward. And so I don't stand in front of you this morning to, to say, hey, look what we did, but I stand before you because I think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so there's this uh, encouragement and this excitement that comes that God indeed is at work in post-communist Albania. Another person you were, I'd like to reintroduce you to is Matilda. And uh, you'll see her here with our two boys. Now, anybody who is honest with you, who has become a missionary and moved somewhere overseas, at some point in that first year, they wake up one day, they look in the mirror, and they just kind of go, what in the world did we do? What in the world did we sign ourselves up for? And it was about that time when we were in Korcha that uh, God brought Matilda across our path. She was a first-year university student. She was a new believer. She had come in from the village, and, um, and we needed some help. We needed help learning Albanian. We needed help figuring out how to cook in this culture and how to shop and how cultural norms work, and we needed help with our kids so that somebody could watch them while we were trying to study language and all these different things. 
And Matilda was a really big blessing. And over the couple of years that we were in Corcha, we got the chance to know her well. We got the chance to disciple her and to mentor her, and in many ways have her mentor us as outsiders in her culture. But these two relationships, Tauland and Matilda, are such an encouragement because it reminds me that what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18 is true. He said, I will, I will build my church. And although the reality of Albania is hard, and oftentimes it feels like you're walking in knee-deep mud as you try to move forward, here are two young people that said yes to Jesus and want to dedicate their lives to being salt and light in their home culture. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, more about Matilda later on this morning, so we'll come back to her story, and I'll give you an update on what's happened with her recently in a bit. Some of you uh, have maybe heard the name William Carey before, and others of you, maybe it's the first time. If you've t ever taken a perspectives missions course, um, you would know that William Carey has been termed by some as the father of modern missions. He was a British missionary to India in the early 1800s and late 1700s. He's famous for his essay, which has a rather long title, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. Rather outdated title, right? But William Carey is probably best known for a short quote that I would like to share with you. William Carey says, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Okay? Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. The God that William Carey had relationship with, the Trinitarian God, fully God, fully man, the God whose love was so big he would give up what was most precious to him and his one and only son and send him to dark, damp, dirty earth for a sinner like me, I can have big expectations because he's a big God. And as I think about the lost world around me, that should funnel into my vision for ministry, into what I want to attempt for the name of Christ and the kingdom of God. Well, Meredith and I had been back on home assignment for about a year, a little over a year. We had had some health struggles that year, and we were getting healthy. We were ramping up and getting back to go to Albania January of 2017, very, very much in the spirit of expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to share with you the intersection of that desire and ambition and with what the circumstances that God brought our way. And I'd like to reread, if I could, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. You can listen, you can follow along, whatever you're most comfortable with. It's just a way to lay the backdrop for what God has been teaching us. And my hope is that this morning, in some small way, 
I can be, we can be, our story can be a blessing to you. It can be an encouragement to you. It can be something that, that maybe you're here and it brings you here. If that be God's will, may it be so. First Peter, he's writing to exiles. He says, you know, you're scattered all over, okay? This world is not your home. But let's start this off right. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we just stopped right there and said, let's sing for the next half an hour, let's just praise the name of God, it would be enough because he is great and greatly to be praised. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's yours, but it's in heaven. It's already, but it's not yet. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. January 2017, we boarded the plane out of Little Rock headed for Tirana, Albania. I had flown to Albania a few months previous to that looking for housing for our family of six, something that's not an easy thing to find for Albanian standards, such a large family. Had found a house, had rented it, traveled the four hours by bus down to Korcha, packed up our house over a three-day period of time, moved everything up to the capital, to the new house, set up beds, threw the boxes in, locked the door, and flew back out. So here we are, a couple months later, landing as a family of six in the middle of winter in Tirana. Uh, thankfully, we're going to go into a house with beds set up, and we'll unpack, and we'll settle in. And I remember the growing enthusiasm and the excitement about getting to show my wife Meredith and our kids our new house. This is going to be our new home in Albania and this new chapter of ministry. Very much feeling encouraged about what God had next for us. And I remember getting out at the airport and we had rented a 15-passenger van. I was going to go in that van with the luggage and then Meredith and the kids went in another car with another missionary. And for any of you who followed our journey in Korcha, you'd know that Korcha is higher up in elevation and the winters there are really tough. It's very cold. We had been told that in Tirana, it's not high up in elevation, much more moderate, much more temperate winters, rarely snows, not that bad. So I remember getting in the 15-passenger van with the driver and him saying, um, man, it's been cold lately. And instantly, I'm having these flashbacks to Korcha winters going, oh, Lord, uh, not this again. And I said, well, you know, how cold? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's been so cold that a couple of the main water mains in the city have frozen and they burst. And there's thousands of people without running water right now. Oh, that's pretty cold. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the coldest it's been in 20, 30 years. 
Okay, I thought it was going to be a little different here in Toronto, but here we are. I remember arriving at the house, and there were some steps uh, going up to the house, and Meredith and the kids had beat me there, and I remember I'm unloading luggage out of the 15-passenger van, bringing it up the stairs, thinking it's going to be so great to meet Meredith and the kids and see the smiles on their faces inside as we go in and show them this new house. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, I remember coming around the corner, setting down the suitcases, looking up, and everybody's crying. And I remember Meredith saying, Amos, it's really, really cold. And I remember one of the kids who was crying, looking at me and saying, Dad, can we please go back to America? That first night and those first few days were pretty rough. Uh, And the spirit of William Carey, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, took a punch for us as a family that first week. Uh, It was so cold that our car battery died. We wanted to go out and get food. We couldn't do that. Uh, Our water pipes froze, so we had no running water. We eventually got the car started, and uh, cooking and dishes weren't a great idea because we didn't have water to wash them. So there was a new mall that had opened up, and we had heard there was a KFC there. Hey, this will be great. Go and have a taste of home, KFC, encouragement for the kids. All of us, we go to KFC, and we come back, and that night, everybody got food poisoning from KFC. Except Dad. I was on cleanup crew for the next three days. Over the next six months, we began to deal with difficulty after difficulty and trial after trial. There were two main things that we dealt with in relationship to our home. Um, You'll see in this next picture here our courtyard. And um, this was the space we would pull our car into and park, but it was also the space where our kids would play. Now, Some of you in here are homeowners, and if you've gone through the buying process, you have your inspection, you get your report back, and you know, here's the three things or the five things, these have to be fixed before we go to closing, right? So they get fixed, you go through closing, congratulations, you're a homeowner, here's your keys. And after you live there for a few months, oftentimes you'll find some things that were missed. Sometimes they're big things, sometimes they're little things. And that was our experience as well with this house. Um, (coughs) One of the things we didn't know, excuse me, is that uh, the the position the house was built in and the houses around it, that as the sun came up and the sun set, we would have no direct sunlight on the house at any point in the day. And in this picture, you you can't see it really well, but in just a second, we'll go to the next slide, we started to deal with mold. Mold outside in the driveway, because when the dew would come, it couldn't get dried off. Uh, Mold on the inside of the house as well, because of water problems. In this next picture here, you'll see, if uh, if we go back just a second, so we're looking straight at the staircase, and now we're going to do a zoom-in close-up of it. My neighbor who had his power washer there just did a quick swatch there of uh, cleaning off that mold with his power washer. And about once a month, he would come in and 
and this is what it would look like after it was all cleaned up. Okay, so we were in this constant battle of fighting this mold. Um, the other problem, now some of you have little kids, and if God has blessed you with little boys, God has blessed us with three. I know he's blessed Brent and Anita with four. Um, you know, little boys have quite a bit of energy. And it is a good thing to have a place to send them to exert that energy so that you can keep your sanity as a parent. Well, that outdoor space that we were constantly fighting mold in was our parking, as well as our outdoor play space. And um, as the months went by, perspective and ambition and drive started to go like this. Some of you maybe have lived in a house that didn't have direct sunlight, and you know how difficult that is. But let me tell you, living in darkness is disorienting. Living in darkness robs you of joy. Living in darkness degrades your hope. It sucks out your energy. Meredith and I, about six months in, looked at each other one day and said, we've got to move. This is not working. Now, moving's a fact of life, right? And some of us have moved more than others. But for a missionary family that had moved eight times in seven years, had just relocated to a new capital city with four little kids, the thought of moving was nauseating. There's a, there's a phrase in Scripture, a two-word phrase, and it's one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. And the phrase is, but God. The Israelites are in an incredible predicament where these massive army is piling up and they're going to come annihilate them. And it looks without hope, but God. Paul is on an impossible missionary journey and he arrives in a big city and he gets this hearing before people. And wouldn't you know, just hours later, they're ready to kill him, but God. A woman who has been sick for over a decade and no doctor can help her reaches through a crowd and touches the tunic of Jesus and instantly power goes out of him. But God. We had our own but God moment in that first year because we went from kind of bummed to discouraged to depressed and as we began to look for housing, it got even worse because everything we looked at was too small and too big and too far and way too expensive. And after looking for six months, we hadn't found anything. It was a couple weeks later, Meredith saw an online ad and she, um, she said, why don't we go look at this? And, you know, we both were keeping our expectations low, probably another one that won't work out. Now, um, you see in this picture here our old house and parking, and this is our new house and parking. Let there be light. 
We went from shadows and darkness to a place that was just filled with light. We walked into the courtyard. We met the owners. And, and Meredith and I just knew. We just knew this is, this is going to be the place. And it needed some work done on it. And the owners, as we talked through it, they said, we'll do the work. And it's been a huge blessing for us. It has outdoor space to send little boys out to play. More than enough space. And I remember the first morning... Uh, one of our boys, Seth, he came out of his room. He said, oh, it's so bright. I can't, it's so bright. And I remember sitting him down at the breakfast table with his Cheerios and he had sunglasses on <laughs> because it was so bright. But God. But God. And maybe, maybe you're in a circumstance where it started out one way and you thought, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to go great. But I didn't think it would be like this. I didn't see my health turning the corner to go that way. I didn't see that work relationship turning that way. And now my reality is I have to go to work every day in this environment. And I want you to be encouraged that God is still in it with you. That just as Peter said, these have come, these trials have come so the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in something bigger than you and me. This, this uh, next picture here is uh, taken off the back balcony of our house about a month before we flew here on home assignment. Meredith just popped a picture of a double rainbow. There's mountains in the background and what you can't see is this beautiful vineyard that we have down below our balcony that our landlords take care of. And uh, I was out for a hike with a missionary buddy of mine, Jamie, another American missionary, and we were talking about what's God been doing in your family? What's God been doing in your ministry these last, this last year? And, and Jamie kind of poked me a little bit, and he said, you know, Amos, you guys have been through a lot, um, but do you think maybe... God's used your housing situation and living in that dark place to give you a picture of what he wants to do with your family in this culture. Here we are in post-communist Albania. Here we are in a place that built an electric barbed wire fence around the country so that people couldn't escape during communist years. Here we are in one of the poorest economies in all of Europe in a very corrupt place where people suffer day in and day out and live and soak and bathe and are captive in darkness. And it's one thing as a missionary to go there and say, I want to bring the gospel and I want to share the love of Christ. But to live in that and to feel that and to know what it's like is a totally different thing. You know, during that first year that we were in Tirana and began to adjust to the new realities and rhythms of life, we were also involved in ministry. And I want to give you an update on that as well. We met a couple of families that were doing something unique. It had never been tried before in Tirana. Um, but it was planting a church through the venue of a coffee shop. Okay, so some of you may have heard of that before. It's been tried in many places in the U.S. and Western Europe, but this was a first in Tirana. And as we began to 
get to know each other and, and talk things through, it became clear this is, this is what we're going to dive into. And as we dived into it, we got more and more excited about what God was going to do through our church plan. And as we were kind of dying on the vine at home in the throes of looking for new housing, we were very encouraged about what was happening in ministry. And you'll see a picture here in a second. Uh, this was Christmas, our first Christmas, Christmas 2018, when we had a big Christmas outreach and service, and we had about 50 people there. And we felt like this is it. This is the thing that we're called to. This is the thing that we're going to attempt for God. This is the thing we're going to sink our teeth into. About a month later, we began to analyze who it was that God was bringing us, and we experienced kind of an interesting phenomenon. It doesn't really happen in rural areas, but in capital cities in a developing country, it's fairly common. We realized that there were a lot of foreigners who were coming. So people that had come for the U.S. Embassy or the British Embassy or various different embassies, uh, business people that were on short-term contracts of six months to a year or whatever it might be. And we came to a point of needing to make a decision. Are we going to be a church that is an international church with some Albanians that may come, and that's okay? Or are we going to be a church for Albanians with some internationals that we're okay with coming. And you really can't do both. You have to do one or the other. And as Meredith and I began to pray through what do we feel called to, was clear to us our heart and calling was to reach the Albanians. However, the rest of the leadership team felt like God was calling them in the direction of an international church. Wait a minute, God. I thought this was the thing. I thought that in all the stuff that we've dealt with to get to this point, this is the great big next thing that we're going to attempt for you. Expect great things, attempt great things, right? But Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And so we felt like the best thing to do was to say there's no scandal here. An international church is not a bad thing. God bless you guys. We'll help you for a few months to transition. And we're going to look towards the next thing. But it was in the intersection of bad housing situation and disappointment in ministry that God was working on us. And one of the questions that I felt like the Holy Spirit was really hammering us with was this. Amos, are you more interested in what you can produce for God or are you more interested in what I want to produce in you? Are you more interested in what you can produce for God or in the holiness, in the godliness, in the Christ-likeness that I want to grow in you. Because here's the thing. William Carey's quote, and the spirit of, spirit of William Carey is, is a wonderful thing. The God we serve is incredible. Let's, let's go honor his name by attempting great things for him. But if you just put a subtle twist on it, it's really easy for it to become selfish ambition 
It's very easy for it to become about what I can do. Look what I'm doing for God. As opposed to a spirit and a heart and a mind that is submitted to say, I don't care what comes my way. I just want to glorify God. I just want what verse 7 says. I want it to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of you sitting here this morning, maybe that question the Holy Spirit wants to use to speak to you. This does not come uh, from any place of judgment. This comes from me being the first to raise my hand and saying, Holy Spirit went boom. I thought I was going to go do this for God and and we got there, but then, well, this happened and and that happened and now you just wouldn't believe the situation. Uh, Our marriage started so wonderful and kids are out of the house now and we've really been struggling and we just didn't think we'd ever be at this place, but here we are. Every single one of us in here that have raised our hands and said yes to Christ, there's a bullseye right here. You don't have to travel halfway around the world to Albania. You just have to be right where you're at. Independence County, Batesville, Southside. If you say yes to Christ, you're either coming through a trial or going into one. But I'm so thankful Peter doesn't leave us there He says in verse 7, These have come so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you notice what he did there? He started off verse 3, bless God. Then he comes around and says it's going to result in blessing God, praising God. As we were going through our transition out of the coffee shop church plant, a couple weeks later, God brought an Albanian family across our paths named Tony and Ida. You'll see them pictured here with their two kids, Holta and Hosea. Their daughter Holta is uh, uh, four now and Hosea is two. And uh, this is an Albanian couple. They're in their early 30s. They had had some involvement in a couple of other church plants and they were in a similar phase of seeking God for what was next for them. And as we began to hear about their life experience, we began to hear about their vision and passion for ministry, their heart for the gospel, their heart for the lost, it just became clear over a couple month period of time, God was bringing us together in partnership. And um, we are at the very, very beginning stages of planting a church together. You'll see our church logo here in a second, Impact Church Tirana is our name of our church. Um, I just want to take a minute to read our mission statement, the mission of Impact Tirana. We exist to love God and to love people while we make disciples that make disciples and plant churches that plant churches. There's nothing really glitzy or fancy about that mission statement. It's kind of a meat and potatoes mission statement, but... We believe that God is worthy of all of our worship. And we want to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. And we want people to join us on that journey. And we want to see people that have a heart 
to develop a gospel chain that says, I know Christ and I want to share him with these people in my sphere of influence. And I want those people to go to their sphere of influence. Now, in just a second here, you're going to see a map of the Balkans, and I want to just share briefly our big picture vision. But before I do, I just want to say this is submitted to a James 4 perspective. Okay? And, and I'm going to give you the Amos layman's translation of James 4. Okay? Uh, don't get up in front of a church and say, we're going to do this, and God's going to do this, and we're going to see this, and God's going to move on, and, and it's going to happen on this date. No, he says... You don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. Your life is like, like a, a mist that appears for a while and then it goes away. So say, if it's God's will, if God wants this, then so be it. And if he doesn't and he blows it all apart, so be it. Because at the end of the day, he's the one who we need to bless and praise and follow. When we look out across the Balkans... And we look out at where Albanians are. The needs are massive. Um, these stats here are, represent the percentage of Albanians in these countries that would have an evangelical presence among them. So Albania is less than half of 1% evangelical believers. When, when Albania as a country was established in 1912 and the borders were drawn, hundreds of thousands of Albanians were left outside the borders of the country in Macedonia, Kosovo, and Montenegro. And those populations of Albanians are just about nil, one-tenth of one percent evangelical believers. Our hope and our desire would be that Impact Church Tirana is the start of a church planning movement. Not that we would be a church plant in and of ourselves and an end to ourselves, but the start of a multiplying church movement that would spread to other parts of Albania and spread across the Balkans. Every big vision starts somewhere small, and our start will be in Tirana. You'll see a Google screenshot in this next picture. That red arrow is our house. We're about a 10-15 minute drive outside of city center. And this black square is the area we are focusing on currently looking for a space to rent for an initial meeting location. In this next screenshot here, you will see a little closer up view. Now this area is called the Unaz, which translates uh, to, to the ring road, but it is the innermost ring of real estate in Tirana and the center of where all the bus lines drop off, where there's university students and some high schools, and we feel like would be a very strategic place. This uh, even blue rectangle here is an area that we've been seriously looking at that we think could be a real strategic place. It's called the former train station, and there's a lot of development in the city headed out that way. So um, we... At, at the same time, as, as you say, if God wills and God can do what he wants to do, it's good to plan, it's good to set goals, and it's good to try to move forward. And so we've kind of broken this up into three phases. Uh, our first phase is preparation. So from January until August, through August, this next month, we've been in a phase of team development, team building, coming together in partnership with Tony and Ida, Tony and Ida came to the States 
and they were here for about three months doing prayer and financial support raising. They went back to Albania beginning of June. We had about two weeks together. Got to hear about their time in the States. They came back encouraged, had a very blessed time in the States. Now we're back here in the States getting to be able to share an update with, with you guys and, and other churches and individuals that are partnering with us. So right now, we're really in a fundraising stage. Um, our, our two biggest needs are startup costs as it relates to the church, as well as ongoing monthly support for the church plant and the increased needs of a bigger family. And um, we will be boarding the plane August 14th to go back. And Lord willing, we will go into phase two, which we're calling establishment phase at the start of this school year. And so our hope and desire there is to start men's and women's Bible study, as well as our first community group, our first life group, whatever term you want to use, uh, small group, life group, community group. But that that group would become the core of our church plan. And we don't know if this is too aggressive of a timeline, um, but we, Lord willing, would like to start having weekly services and be in a rented space doing weekly services after the new year, January of this next year. And so we, uh, we want to be intentional in that. We want to work really hard, and, and we want to ask you to come alongside us in prayer. Pray with us that God would be in the details. Pray with us for unity as we work through the issues of what it means to be the body of Christ in Albania and Albanian culture. Pray for our kids. Pray for Tony and Ida's kids. We're preparing to go to war. And we need your prayers. The cool thing about this is that as you guys partner with us, we get to pray for you as well. Don't forget you are in the midst of war as well. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your grandparenting, in your job, in your studies as a student. You are an ambassador for Christ. You have a high calling. Live it faithfully. I want to share one uh, couple final photos, I told you I wanted to give you an update on Matilda. Matilda grew up, and Matilda got engaged about two years ago to a guy named Ergus, and Ergus and Matilda had um, been in Korcha during her university years. They were both part of the church there, caught each other's eye. Meredith and I did a little bit of matchmaking too, maybe, on the back door. Uh, and they got engaged. And they, last year, I had the privilege of doing some premarital counseling with them. And then this last picture here, you're going to see on their wedding day last September. So they've been married almost one year now. Meredith had the really, really high honor of being a bridesmaid in Matilda's wedding. This young village girl who came to us in Korcha, new believer, helped us with our kids, helped with so many details of life, and we got to bring her along a little bit further in her spiritual journey. And now, her and her husband are a young Albanian couple who said yes to Christ, who wants Christ at the center of their marriage, who wants to be salt and light in their culture, and God is still 
doing this thing of building his church in Albania. And the thing I love about this picture, if I can kind of come back wide angle on it, is I see such a parallel here between not just a wedding here, but what the Spirit is doing worldwide in preparing the bride of Christ. You all get the privilege right where you're at of helping prepare the bride of Christ. And you get to do it in Albania. And we get to do it together. And so I just want to stand before you this morning to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for being faithful, gospel-centered church. You guys are a blessing, and we could not do this without you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a big God. You are a huge God. You raise the dead to life. You pierce darkness with light. You shatter it. We thank you so much for your love, which is so much bigger than even we can comprehend. And I just pray you would pour out your blessing on this church, on, on the elders, on the staff, on every family a part of this church. Pour out your blessing. Thank you for this church. And may our partnership in the gospel result in praise and honor and glory for your name. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The church before dismissed here is going to take a moment.